queer relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ plus community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. In today's episode, we have the honor of sitting with one of the most gentle souls I've sat with in a long time. In his voice, you can hear the concern and the readiness for change and health and hope and love. In today's episode, we continue with some of those themes, focusing on the self-concept, the way that those interactions with those architects helped define the self-concept with those messages, I am unlovable, I am disgusting. We talk about the self-concept in a way that sets us up to really unpack some of the more beautiful parts of who he is, really distilling his sexuality into something beautiful where he can really begin to grasp and enjoy who he is. I think the world of this person and their courage and their vulnerability, but more than that, just the gentleness that they bring. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's take a listen. Yeah, well, we kind of um, left you off with some homework. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I guess just to like, jump right into it, um, I've, I've been actually thinking about a lot about that homework. Yeah. In the last, I mean, almost month since since we since we since we spoke. I think for me, um, I it's interesting. I I had this really interesting experience with with a guy like a, a week after we 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 spoke. Um, we like met on like Grinder, and you know we we like went to a hotel and he, he's like a really nice guy. And, you know, after, after we sort of like hooked up, we, we sort of like hung, hung around and um, started talking. And I like really started to like analyze like why after I sort of like have sex with somebody, I immediately just sort of like shut down. Mm-hmm. And so sure. I, yeah, I even like did some voice recordings because I like, you know, I like wasn't in a situation where I could really like write anything down. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, did, I did some voice recordings and like really like what came up for me was sort of like I I just view um, intimacy, like romantic intimacy with other men as like shameful like that is like my shame that i can do with me um and i don't and like i know how to express that shame mm-hmm. like you know fleeting sexual acts but once it comes to like actually developing a relationship um i immediately like my thing is to run away and to want to like hide um, sure. uh from that that from that shame and from that sort of like um like i feel like i am being confronted by by sort of like my 
which is like, like I'm going to use a word that's very like Christian, but it's, it's the word that comes up for me. Mm-hmm. I'm being like confronted like by my iniquity um, mm-hmm. and like, you know, sort of like the, you know, sort of like the bad thing that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, even though logically I, I like don't think that what I'm doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. I still feel like very I still feel like having anything more than like fleeting sex with somebody is like very dirty for sure and, and just like it just feels wrong in yeah. like so many you know. Mm-hmm. you know I think it's such a profound experience to think that experiencing and we'll break this down a little bit more but that experiencing connectedness or pleasure intimacy all of that could feel so wrong yeah and i'm phrasing it in a in a good light but what does it feel like to you that you engaged maybe some options are you took you used your body or you took advantage of someone else's or you used sex or what what kind of aspects make it feel so wrong for you i think uh, a part of it for me definitely i think has to do with like the fact that they like saw my nakedness okay uh, mm-hmm. and that feels intrusive that feels yeah like a a part of me just feels like oh like you you saw this part of me like you obviously are only tolerating me like you you don't actually want to be around me anymore Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm so disgusting Sure. So and so gross. And so like I again like my sort of like automatic assumption is sort of like this shame. Mm-hmm. Like I can only see the world through like this idea of like okay, like you know, like this other person views me this way as well. Sure. So like before they sort of and or 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 maybe they don't view me like that yet mm-hmm. they, will they will one day realize yeah. it mm-hmm. and i'm going to end this before they realize it and they and they hurt me mm-hmm. they do something to hurt me and so i get the impression that in this experience sex your nakedness is almost sacred it's like a, not only something that should be reserved for safety, but it's also kind of this sacred thing. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? Sort of. I mean, there's definitely a part of it. There's definitely like, yeah, like I would say a part of me that does resonate with that. Mm-hmm. But there's also a part of me that's also like very sex positive and that, you know, considers myself to be like very sexually open and um, doesn't 
but I think that might be more like my logical sort of like, you know, when I think about it, mm-hmm. sort of reality and less like, oh, this is actually like how I truly feel deep down inside. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think that there's so many ways that we create a self-concept. And one of, I think, the biggest ways that we create a self-concept is through religious teachings. Yeah. You know, we had a previous episode where um, one of the females said, I was taught so often at church that my body wasn't mine. Mm that it was God's or that it was the man that I married. And so it was hard for me to make decisions for myself or to to say no in sexual situations when I needed to. And that's kind of, excuse me, that's kind of derivative of this idea that our self-concept is being shaped by the lessons and the teachings we, we intake, you know, we internalize. And I think for me, too, it was this idea that the body is the temple, you know, these old Christian um, ways of understanding and conceptualizing who I am in the world. And one of those is, you know, again, my body is a temple, but also the idea that my behavior could work against my own body. Yeah, yeah. And I think in sex and sexuality, we see all of those lessons kind of crashing into one another. And something that feels so good can create so much chaos because it's jarring. It doesn't align with the way we've conceptualized who we are and what roles we should be playing on the planet and in our relationships. Yeah, yeah, I think... I think for me, one of the one of the things that that sticks out to me most about that is like, um, sort of like before this this word got into like vogue, um, you know, like a couple of years ago. But like, sort of like that idea of like gaslighting, um, that was something that I like when it when I sort of realized it a couple of years ago. Like that was something that I felt very deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, in my sort of growing up mm-hmm. and like the conversion therapy and like in sort of my experience um like a lot of people were like no you're like not gay you, you know you're just confused mm-hmm. you're not you're not actually a, a homosexual mm-hmm. you're, you're this you're that and it's like you know you're just taught that like the reality that you experience is not real Mm-hmm. And that this reality you're being told is the real reality. Right. And so to this day, sometimes I'll be like, I'll feel guilt for something that I like didn't do. Mm-hmm. But I feel like other people think I did. And I'll be like, I feel like I'm like, sometimes I'll be like, you know, like I like sometimes like it'll be like something banal, like my mom will get home from work. And I'll be, and I would have worked from home that day. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, I didn't do something that she needed me to do because I was legitimately working all day and I was busy at work. Like even though I was working from home mm-hmm. um, and 
I know that her impression of me is going to be that like I was actually just being lazy all day and mm-hmm. that I didn't do that because I was lazy. Um, even though like the reality is that I was actually busy with work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll actually feel guilty um, for giving off that impression, even though in reality, like there isn't really anything for me to feel guilty about. Like I, like I was busy with work all day. For sure. But I'm just giving off that impression. Like that, that reality, I got so used to it with like other people's reality being so much more important than mine. Mm-hmm. That guilt just still is sort of comes up as like, you know, as like a very real emotion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about the motivation under that. Is it something like, um, I have to protect them from my truth or if I assert my voice, I upset them. Sorry, could you repeat uh, the, the motivation behind what? Yeah, sorry. The motivation behind um, prioritizing or protecting other people's reality. Yeah, I think, I think for me, it's just like, I don't, I don't want to like have to fight. I, I, I want to, sort of keep the peace. Um, sure. And yeah, like I, I grew up in, in an environment where um, where like I really wasn't in, 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 in many times in my childhood, I felt that I wasn't listened to. And then my opinion wasn't actually heard. Mm-hmm. And that, again, like my, so Again, because like because my because what I said wasn't taken seriously, then it was all about me creating a reality for that other person, so they would never get to that stage where they had to question me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if they got to that stage where they even had to question me, I had already lost mm-hmm. because they're not they're not gonna believe my reality. Um, sure, because my reality is wrong. So mm-hmm. like if we get to that point, I've already lost the game. Like mm-hmm. I need to, I need to create a reality, even if it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did this for many years, for example, with like my dad, um, he would ask me, like, I've never had the closest relationship with my dad, mm-hmm. but like he would ask me like every, like once every three months, he'd be like, how is your problem? And like the problem will be like me, okay? Sure. Um, and I would just be like, you know, it's going. Like I am working on it. You know, um, I think I'm starting to like really like girls. And then I, that was obviously always a lie. Sure. Um, but again, again, it was just always to create this reality for them, mm-hmm. so that I was never put in this position where I might be like unsafe or like. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, or create like discord, mm-hmm. like anger. yeah. That is a very strong way of creating a self concept. Mm-hmm. It's almost kind of like a default setting um, in your 
I like the way that you're kind of phrasing this, but my reality is wrong. You know, the thing that's happening inside of me is almost defective or deficient or damaged. And so I have to tell someone, I have to almost kind of align myself with the reality I think they want because, and here's the self-concept piece, my reality is always wrong. Yeah. Do you think that that affects, would you say that that narrative affects things like my love is wrong, my intimacy is wrong? I'm sure, I mean, definitely would say my sexuality is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, it's something that I've tried to work on. Mm -hmm. For myself in the last like five years since I came out. Um, But like it's, it's, it's just it's just so deeply ingrained that it, that it just, that like every, that once I feel like I've crossed a certain victory, like it's just like another door kind of. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, yeah, no, like, and in, and in every single way that feels that feels like that I mean, mm-hmm. uh, for me because yeah and like and if I'm being really honest like with you like I people look at my life from the outside and they see like somebody who has made a lot of decisions for themselves mm-hmm. and a lot of independent decisions a lot of like decisions on my own sure yeah, that's true but a lot of those decisions have always been framed in my mind as sort of like the opposite of like what my parents want. Um, and that it's, it's weird. Like when I got to college and I started to realize that a lot of the stuff that I was told growing up mm-hmm. was wrong or like just did not fit my framework anymore. Um, I sort of like went to the other extreme and was just like everything my parents told me was wrong. <laughs> and, um, and so like I got like tattoos and like, you know, uh, you know, and like became like really promiscuous in like my sexuality, mm-hmm. which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, um, like any of those things. But I, I say that to say that like the motivation for many of those things, I would say deep down wasn't, really even because I wanted those things because if I'm being completely honest with you, I don't even know what I want half the time. Sure. Mm -hmm. The motivation behind that was because that's not what my parents want me to do. Mm -hmm. And so it must be right. Mm -hmm. And to this day, that's still like a core sort of understanding for me of the world Mm -hmm. is sort of that dichotomy of like, what my parents like, yeah. what my parents don't. Mm-hmm. And what, what my parents like is bad. And what my parents don't like is good. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, even when like, you know, there's a lot of evidence that that's not true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. 
You know, I think one of my favorite examples of what you're describing here, and I'll add some more meat to the bone, but it's like a little kid who says, um, mom, I'm hungry. I'm hungry, mom. My tummy hurts. And mom says, I just fed you. You shouldn't be hungry. Go outside and play. And that kind of experience is hitting so many different parts of the kiddo. But one that I think is most profound is it's teaching the kid to doubt their own self-knowing. And of course, when we take this into the realms of human development, um, dad, I think I'm attracted to this gender. Well, how is that problem going? It's almost like saying, well, I thought this was beautiful because it feels beautiful. But now you're telling me that I should doubt my own self-knowing. I should question my natural preferences. Do I really enjoy that? Should I really enjoy that? And when our preferences are shunned or uh, chastised or just flat out labeled as something we should uh, denigrate, something we should hate about ourselves. I think we come to this place where we say, I don't even know what I want because our preferences have been so often shoved through the grinder. Yeah. That's kind of why I wanted maybe for you to think about some of those desires, the ones that feel clean and the ones that feel dirty. Mm -hmm. Because I think it helps us really understand you know, to have a list of desires like being held by the same gender and feeling safe, being seen by the same gender and feeling attractive and desired, to feel loved, to feel enjoyed, to feel powerful, a sense of belonging. When all of those things are on the dirty list, I, I get that. But if we, if we strip them of a context of how they might happen in terms of queerness or quote-unquote homosexuality, those things are actually just really beautiful and really innocent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's, and that's something I like really struggle with. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, for me, like to see queerness as like beautiful or like innocence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I, yeah, and I guess I can, I I can see that for other people, but not for me. Like that's that's also another thing that I that I struggle with. Is also like, oh yeah, like that gay couple or like that person who is living their best life in June, like good for them you know but but i just can't imagine that for myself like it's just it's just really hard right um mm-hmm. uh, yeah for sure up there for me yeah let's let's kind of play this out just a little bit more let's say this experience that you had at the hotel was maybe with someone that you had been dating for a long time someone that you've had uh, a strong history with the feeling connected and belonging 
um, maybe a partner or a lover that felt like your best friend. Do you think you might feel the same way after the event at the hotel? like where to start to answer that because it's like again like I, I don't it's just so difficult for me to imagine myself with sure like a long-term partner mm-hmm. uh, that's i just yeah yeah no thank you for that what about just just roll with me what if you were straight and that happened with a woman How do you think you'd feel about that intimacy that was exchanged and shared between the two of you? Yeah, I feel like it it would probably feel better because I, yeah, because I feel like I wouldn't be like betraying my family when I'm, when I'm doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's not an act of betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I I was talking to a mentor of mine who was a Christian psychologist, definitely anti-gay. And he, I was saying, you know, if I come out to my mom and dad, it's like, uh, it's a hit on my record like a police record you're gonna forever and ever after this one moment of coming out whenever you open up that manila folder will be my mugshot with a rap sheet and i can never get rid of that one thing my sister said in a just a passing conversation she said when i was talking to mom about you coming out she said well we didn't raise isaac to be this way Mm-hmm. And there is, again, this very subconscious way that we create a self-concept. Who I am and how I love is a betrayal to the people who raised me and sacrificed so much and taught me and invested in me and loved me. And it's, it's a very heavy burden to think and feel like we're betraying our parents by loving something. Mm-hmm. I keep referring to this self-concept piece. And I, I find that there's, let me kind of set the stage because I'm kind of introducing maybe something new here. But we have this implicit identity, this identity that lives within us that I don't think we acknowledge often. When we talk about patriarchy, there's, this is kind of the preface, so bear with me a little bit, but there's the patriarchy we can see. You know, women don't get paid as much. Um, Men are often talked of as being stronger or however patriarchy shows up in our day to day. Yeah. And those of us like me who are against patriarchy, we still have to find that there's the psychological patriarchy 
where kind of deep in the depths of the way we've assembled the world, we almost kind of believe in patriarchy, even though we might hate that about ourselves. It's almost like a a privilege, right? Like sometimes I might still act out of privilege and then I have to check myself and hopefully a friend will call me out. But it's still this psychological patriarchy. Yeah. I think that as to kind of use that with this implicit identity, we almost have this psychological inferiority. This idea that I am inferior because of how I love, because of my preferences. I am inferior because my desires point me in the wrong direction. I'm oriented in the wrong way. And that kind of psychological inferiority really requires that we apologize for who we are over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And we don't even realize that we're apologizing for our authenticity. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, that's something that I've kind of started to change a little bit in the way that I express myself. Mm-hmm. But um, I, yeah, there was a point in my life where I used to like apologize a lot. For sure. Yeah, and I used to, um, yeah, and I and I just used to like, yeah, just just used to feel like a burden. Mm-hmm. There's so many people around me. Yeah, I remember the first time I downloaded um, an app. It was back in the day, and downloading an app I thought was like the coolest thing, but also scary. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I had ever heard of Grinder. It was in GQ magazine. Yeah. And I was so mad that I had stumbled upon it because I knew I was going to use it, <laughs> and I wasn't quite out yet. And the first time I had a hookup, I remember walking, it was a high rise in downtown Denver. And I remember walking out of there, almost apologizing to my parents with the shame that I was experiencing. Yeah. It was almost like I was, this might sound weird, but just bear with my language, but it was almost like I was saying a shame prayer of apology to my parents, like, yeah. I'm sorry, mom and dad, if you only knew. And that I think is some of that psychological inferiority. Yeah. Let's yeah. go back, just, I'm gonna try and sew a couple of things together here, but let's say this experience at the, the hotel was your honeymoon with a female the way that your preferences were expressed, your desires were expressed, the love, maybe, let me, let me make it more realistic. Mm-hmm. The pleasure, the sensuality, the being seen, the feeling desired, the nakedness, that all those get to feel so lovely so enjoyable like just all of this permission to drink in the satisfaction Mm -hmm. 
without <coughs> sorry without the context the him or the her the hotel or some other place I wonder what it would feel like for you just to experience your desire even before you engage it as just something that's beautiful. Do you want me to maybe give you an example? Yeah, no, no, I, no, I, I understand a hundred percent. I mean, it's interesting they use the, the, the concept of like a honeymoon Mm -hmm. um, to describe that. Because if I was straight um, and it was like with like my wife, um, like I would have gotten there because I had gotten like married mm-hmm. in front of like my family and my friends. Mm-hmm. So something yeah, you can like apologize for. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I think. Like what's what's really coming up for me is like before I can truly enjoy those feelings and sort of like unlock that chest, like I need to have like my mom's permission. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what it feels like. And like absolutely, oh for sure, yeah, yeah. And I, I really just want to kind of validate that experience because again, this little kid who says, but mommy, I'm hungry. I just gave you hot dogs. Go away, go play outside. But mom, I'm hungry to finally get that mom to say, okay, my son is telling me the truth. He is legitimately feeling something that is informing him It's telling him what to do, and I need to respond. Like a good, protective, loving, empathizing mom. And to still want that, I would never, ever, ever fault you for or judge you for that. Yeah. Can you imagine? Son, I get it. I get it now. I wouldn't call this a problem. I don't think it's against the Bible or God. I see the beauty in the love that you want to create. Go and have fun. Go and enjoy. I would, I would, I'd be floored. So much freedom in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think that maybe, and, and it takes a village, right? To raise a kiddo. So sometimes we still need a village. Part of me thinks that practicing giving yourself the permission could be really good. Mm. Yeah. But maybe we need to bring in close friends, a mentor, maybe even a a dignified older man with white hair 
sorry, someone who could really look you in the eye with a lot of love and intention and say, this part of you, these desires are good. Mm-hmm. How would you, how would you receive that? I mean, I feel like that's, those are like the words that I've been like waiting to hear mm-hmm. my entire life. I mean, yeah. I bet. yeah. That's, yeah, that's what I like wish every day my mom would say. Here's a tricky question, and it comes from a, a story I've told on the podcast before. So, mm-hmm. and it's it's I'm being tricky, so just bear with me here. <laughs> mm-hmm. But we we have this one passage in the Bible, and it's it stands out for me back from my seminary days. Mm-hmm. But it's this it's a very short passage, but it says God is love. And if we kind of take that literally for a moment, that God is love, do you feel like there could be a sinful version of love if God is love? No. And what if what really binds you to the man of your dreams is love. Would that be so bad? No, I mean, <laughs> no, like logically, I know. Right. <laughs> I told you, I'm just being cunning. <laughs> yeah. But I kind of, I wonder what it would feel like for you just to let that seep in over the next couple of days and weeks and months. But this idea that I am moving forward, embracing God's love in my body. And when it's love directed to my friends, my mom, my nieces and my nephews, when it's love, it is beautiful and innocent. And if it's directed to my lover, love, no matter what gender, it brings the same beauty and the same innocence. I just kind of want you to play around with that idea. Yeah. There's this whole process and we could we could I could talk about this for days. <clears throat> but when we for some of us, and I, I talk about this on the podcast here a lot, but for some of us, when we download Grinder and we hook up with someone, we're almost doing it out of a place of starvation. Mm. A place of us that feels really deprived and almost kind of um uh, frenetic and I think as we engage our own sexuality and someone else's body from that place it can oftentimes leave us feeling really 
disordered. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think the shame sneaks in. And so then I think what we do is we take that experience and we say, see, my sex and my sexuality is wrong. It leaves me feeling dirty. It leaves me feeling gross. Tons of regret. I never want to do that again. And we throw the baby, this precious sexuality, out with the bathwater for the experience. And again, I, I want to maybe encourage you to play around with some of these ideas of this pure, innocent version of love coming out of you, no matter to whom it's directed, that it's always beautiful. If we pair that with a sex and a sexuality that leaves you feeling like you honored your body and someone else's, maybe that you created an emotional safety with beforehand, that might leave you feeling, it might leave the experience feeling a little bit more less complex mm-hmm. and a little bit more clean. Yeah. And then we can get a better read on what this feels like for you kind of at the core when the context is something you're proud of. Yeah. Yeah. Does, yeah. does engaging sex right now even just sound kind of off-putting? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, like, and, and this is probably from my, a kid, something I'm still carrying from, like, my evangelical Christian days. But, like, is it, is it, it's, just, it's just so hard for me to view sex as love, you know? Um, those two things just seem so, so different for me. Like, I don't know, for me, love is, for me, love is almost like platonic. I don't know. It's, Mm -hmm. it's weird. I just, it just seems like safer. Yeah. I know for sure. I, I think I, yeah, I get you because when love has been associated with so many conditions. It can be really hard to feel, one, like we can trust love, but two, that there's actually more to it than the the shallow depth of you love me because I perform for you. Mm -hmm. And it can feel very, very transactional. You love me because I secretly apologize. You love me because I prioritize your preferences, your opinion, your reality over mine. You love me because I pretend to be the macho straight son. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I did. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, me too. (laughs) And then we think that is love. Love is performing for you. And if I stop... Not only do you stop loving me, but then I'm alone. Mm-hmm. And in that context, I think it's really hard to imagine that love could be 
any anything more deep, anything more intimate. Here's my thought. Mm-hmm. What would it feel like to pick maybe one or two friends with whom you're really, really safe and those that you can trust completely? And you begin exposing them to the to the true authentic part of yourself so that they can affirm who you are and you can begin experiencing unconditional love, maybe for the first time. I guess my my question would be like, uh, how do you affirm someone like that? Well, they would do all the affirming for you. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, but that's a, that's a, I love this. I love affirming <laughs> because it's something like, um, in my ideal world is to say, um, tell me about the cute guy you went on a date with. And then here's the affirmation part. Oh my God, you're beaming. You're glowing right now. I've never seen you smile this way. I'm so happy for you. I hope he respects you. Did you guys have fun? Amazing. That might not necessarily sound like affirmation, but it is. It's basically saying, I get to see you experiencing joy and it is good. Mm -hmm. And then I think even a little bit more closer to home, they might say, hey, I really missed you today. Um, I was sitting at work in my cubicle and I was just thinking about that fun trip we took last summer. And I want you to know that you're one of my favorite people on the whole entire planet. That you get to really hear that your reality is just as beautiful. Yeah. That's going to take a lot of, if you were me, a lot of courage. Yeah. (laughs) One time we were all, you know, all of our seminary friends, we were all sitting around and we were saying like, who's your Hollywood crush? And I knew they were all affirming and I was talking about this with my therapist. So when I got at the Ghana's, I got up the courage to say Jude Law. And it was first time I had ever acknowledged my same-sex attractions in front of those people. And they all just laughed. And some of them said, oh, my God, really? And other people said, oh, my God, me too. And that was an affirmative moment. I belonged. I was welcomed. But I had to muster up the courage (laughs) to let them see me. Yeah. Do you feel like all of these kinds of affirmation, would they be new? Would they be kind of new experiences for you? Um, in, a, in a way, I feel like, I mean, like I mentioned last time, I mean, I, I have been blessed with some, with some really, really great friends. And so... Mm-hmm. 
I think, I think, I think when I was able to walk with many of them through sort of my process from going from like non-affirming to affirming, mm-hmm. um, they also walked that with me and, you know, became affirming. Um, but not in like that sort of like detail, I would say. Like, I think for me, yeah, like in some ways I do feel comfortable sort of sharing that part of myself with my friends and them sort of being like, oh yeah, like that's, I think that's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and I maybe I'm just asking for too much, but like I've also noticed that in some ways, as the relationship has progressed with a lot of my friends, I do. I do use like my sort of like my attraction and, and, and sort of like my, my gayness and like sort of like my understanding of like gay culture around like straight people. Like a lot of my friends are straight. Um, I use that as like a source of like humor and as a way to like, in a way to make them feel comfortable. Versus to make me feel comfortable. Right, for sure. Um, Well, that's that reality piece. You know, I have to protect your reality. I'm I'm almost kind of, again, apologizing for who I am or protecting you from who I am. But I, I really like because you seem so fond of them and it seems like you're so safe with them. Yeah. That practicing something new would would actually give you a lot of feedback about how beautiful you and your desires are yeah to get really nitty-gritty here i wonder what it would how they would respond if you said something like um let me pick something last last time we met um we wrote down some voices. I don't know if you remember that. Um, but I kind of remembered some. I am unlovable. I am disgusting. I hate myself. I'm not strong enough. And I wonder if you just kind of m- mentioned some of those in, in the sense of something like this. Hey, best friend. I feel really disgusting and I've been hiding that part of myself from you. Mm -hmm. If I slowly begin to let you in on my dating life, on my hookup life, or what I really dream about in terms of falling in love, can I trust you to keep me safe if I bring that up? Yeah. How do you think they would respond? I mean, I think they would respond well. I think they would respond with, they would be like, yeah, like, of course. Yeah. You can't see me, but I'm smiling from ear to ear. (laughs) 
Yeah, because I want you to test that out. Yeah. I feel some hesitance coming from you. There's some heavy. I, I, I think there was my 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 coming out process was like very very hard, um, and I like leaned on my friends a lot, and mm-hmm. so. This is not something that is like completely new to me. Like I, I definitely um, um, sort of leaned on my friends and, and, and they affirmed me in like some important ways. You know, I'm, I'm just starting now to like sort of remember some of those ways. Yeah. Um, if I'm being like completely honest, it would, it just, it just, I just would hate to ask for them to do that again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just almost feels like going back and repeating high school. Sure. Like just like doing that class again. Like mm-hmm. that was something that I had already finished. Right. Right. But obviously it's not. And it's something that I still need help with. Mm-hmm. Like, but that's just sort of like the first thing that comes up. So. Sure. No, I get that. I get that. <laughs> it almost feels like the 2.0 version yeah <laughs> you know like i'm gay okay let me support you like it's gonna definitely gonna be hard i'm here but then it's another thing to say hey i hooked up with someone and i don't feel great about it yeah can i process that with you yeah or today's a tough day i feel kind of disgusting and to let them show you how they see you because the thing here is it's like again going back to the little kid who said mommy i'm hungry to be swat away go play outside i just fed you we're trained that our needs are a burden to other people they're annoying yeah and this is is exposing that wound all over again so that someone could say oh my god you're hungry come here Come here, sit down. I got exactly your favorite tasty treat. Come here. And when we run that over and over again with someone who is trustworthy and safe, we begin to relearn. Our, my desires are not a burden. They're not annoying. They're cherished. They're safe. And it bonds us together when I share my needs and they share theirs and we feed each other all these beautiful emotional nutrients. Yeah. Does that feel a little different? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, like that's, it's just, you know and like again like this is something that i used to be really good at in college and honestly it's 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 sort of weird i, I used to be really good at it when i was a christian like i, I, I used to be really good at sort of sure. opening up and talking about like my sin and you know like that was that was that, that was a big practice and sort of like the religious communities i was in sure. um and when sort of like my friend friend group sort of detransitioned from that sort of religious group mm-hmm. we became more like secular we sort of 
stop doing that. And that, that is something that I miss a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Of having like moments of like vulnerability and like, you know, kind of being able to like go to one another in in moments of need. Mm-hmm. And I mean, again, like I know that if I just speak up, that'll happen, but it it just hasn't happened mm-hmm. in so long that it, that it does feel um, sort of rusty. Sure. 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 Sort of getting back into that. Yeah. What it would require. Mm-hmm. We need a little bit of elbow grease and some WD-40. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's nothing that I have not done before. So mm-hmm. okay. just about getting into the practice of it and just, and again, like I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have those. For sure. Those friends. Yeah. When I was nine years old, my best friend at church, his name is Eli. He brought me a family-sized packet of the brand new peanut butter M&Ms. Mm. Tells you how old I am. Yeah. And I ate the whole thing in one sitting. <laughs> and I got so, so sick. Yeah. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's what our experience of sex and our sexuality is like was so hungry for something and it tasted so good I just couldn't stop and and then I kind of gorged myself in a way that left me just feeling sick yeah but when I hear your story and and kind of compare it to all of the other stories I don't hear anything weird I don't hear anything broken I don't hear anything except that you're just falling in line with what normal human behavior sounds like Mm. you know sometimes we grab sex and we gorge ourselves like a bag of peanut butter M&M's but as a 37 year old psychotherapist who's a couple years in front of you who gets to hear stories like ours every day I want to say maybe it's embarrassing when we kind of throw up all of those M&M's and we wish we didn't do it Yeah. but I don't want you to stop eating the M&M's They're, hmm. they taste wonderful I'm working on eating a handful at a time There's nothing wrong with that. You know, the self-concept is a really tricky thing. It is a part of our identity that lives on the implicit layer, subconscious part of who we are. The self-concept isn't something we rationally or cognitively pay attention to, It's the part of our experience and the self-defining emotions that we feel and experience on a day-to-day. It is the messaging that says, I am inadequate, so hide. I will be unenjoyable, so filter and edit your personality. I am confident in this situation, rise and be strong. 
The self-concept really predicates the way that we show up in relationships of all kinds, the romantic relationships, professional, our familial, but even our sexual. I found that it was really fascinating, this idea of prioritizing someone else's reality. We are prioritizing their comfort as we're managing their reality. There's a sneaky process here where we also start to forego our own reality, our own desires, our own preferences, our own cravings, our own skills, our own talents. And even though we're living out, it's almost as though our personality is still closeted in many ways. We got so used to prioritizing the reality of other people that we forgot to come out with our own reality prioritizing its development and its nurturing. A self-concept that is geared towards prioritizing the reality of other people is living from what we might call a facade or an edited version of our personalities. As people bond to us, they can only bond to our edited self, which can oftentimes leave us really confused as to who we are, but also feeling really invisible and isolated in our most primary relationships. I've mentioned this before. I mention it one more time because I really want to drive home this idea of bringing our personalities out of the closet as we bring our sexuality out of the closet. Saying the same thing in another way, as you're bonding to people, I want them to be able to bond to your authenticity not only so that you can be free to be spontaneous with your own personality in the world, but so that people can fall in love with your genuine self in this fully naked and unashamed way of presenting your personality. You'll have the opportunity to know that people are falling in love with you, not your show. This is a common theme for those of us in the LGBTQ community, And I think as we work towards creating the love lives and relationships we crave, even with ourselves, this kind of vulnerability of being spontaneous and open and free with our personalities is one of the best ways we can gauge our sense of inherent value in the world, but it's also a pure and innocent way of creating relational, emotional, and sexual intimacy. As we've mentioned, if you have a good relationship with your desires, you will have a good relationship with your behaviors. So take that as a little tip, a little reminder in your pocket. If I am shaming some of my behaviors, down underneath that must be a shamed desire. I would encourage you to talk about that with other queer people, trustworthy, healthy people in your life who can help you redefine the desire so that you can see a refined behavior. To today's guest, I am so respectful of your story and your desire to live for health and beauty. And to all of us in the LGBTQIA community, I encourage you to practice the vulnerability that our guest has modeled for us today. And in your own journey of reclaiming your desires and living spontaneously, expressing your full authenticity, 
I want you to know that you, like today's guest, are a light to the world. To all of you out there, until next time. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic. Thank you.